This week on the short game, welcome to Erestotska. Cause no trouble. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we discuss short video games, the kind of games that you can pick up and probably complete in under a week, and uh, games that we think are worth fitting into your life. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week, as always, by Nate Heininger. How you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And um, and by my bro host and real-life twin brother, Shane. How are you doing, Shane? I'm doing pretty good. Life is good, man. I love that you feel the need to, to help assist painting the mental picture by by referring to yourselves as twins, because this is entirely radio. Yeah. And so well, now they have... can at least they can imagine when they're imagining one of you, because I know like when I listen to podcasts, I try to like imagine what they look like. So at mm-hmm. least the, the listener now knows that they can listen when they imagine one of you, they can just make a copy and that's They what... only have to imagine one dude. Yeah. We could go even, you know, w- w- there's no reason we have to stick with anything realistic. We could say, uh, and uh, Shane, my bro host and real life Manticore. <laughs> I was thinking real life dragon. That's funny. Mm-hmm. No, we're going to go with Manticore. <laughs> it's a better, much it's better. A, it's got, got, the, got the head of a man, but the uh, yeah. body of a lion and the uh, uh, tail uh, of a scorpion? scorpion. Yeah, scorpion. Yes. Bred for my skills in magic. <laughs> So uh, that brings me to one of the things that I'm really excited about this week, actually. Uh, speaking of manticores, um, <laughs> there's a Good new segue. Dungeons & Dragons out. I don't know if you guys are aware. I have been investigating it a bit. Uh, we've discussed a little bit uh, uh, the possibility of doing a uh, special episode, as we did with the board games episode, um, uh, on uh, role-playing games. And... Reagan and I today had a chance to go through some of the character creation steps for 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. What did you think of it, Reagan? I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, It's been a while since I messed around with any Dungeons & Dragons rules. Um, These seemed pretty straightforward, and I really liked that we were able to just hop onto Wizards of the Coast's website and... Uh, get PDFs of the most relevant stuff. So, like, if you're interested in creating a character or playing with some folks, you can get the basics of the rules to create a character for most of the classes and understand most of the gameplay. Not only most of the classes, all the important classes, all the important races. Uh, there's a set of basic rules for the player and for the dungeon master uh, up on the web. Um, like a, almost a hundred page PDF. Yeah, and it's totally free. It sure is. And I got to say, I'm pretty impressed with these new rules. I was not a fan of fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Don't and even get me started. Fifth edition, man, <laughs> looks really good. So, Nate, uh, I, I do want to get you started. Have you uh, have you had a chance to see the new rules yet? No, um, but I wouldn't have them anything have anything to compare them to because I've just really never played. But that doesn't mean I'm not interested. I am excited for the uh, 
the the concept of a short game uh, Dungeons and Dragons podcast. But you know what I was thinking about that a little bit because there's other podcasts that have done um, uh, done Dungeons and Dragons you know episodes or campaigns as a part of their show, and I love all of them. I think they're a great fun way to you know enhance the show a little bit. But um, to put our own particular unique short game spin in it, I was thinking we should shoot for having incredibly short Dungeons and Dragons play sessions, <laughs> like half hour Dungeons and Dragons play sessions. Break it up into real short chunks. I think it's doable. I don't know in, enough about any of it to tell you whether I think that's possible or not. I'm down for any of it, but yeah, I have no idea. We've actually got a really great sort of second season of the show coming up for you. Um, if you're listening to this, you're probably uh, wondering why we didn't have a show last week. Um, and that was because we are kind of resetting our shows. Oops. We're sort of resetting our shows clock a little bit and uh, and jumping into a whole new list of games. Uh, you'll probably you may have heard a little announcement at the end of our Tomb Raider episode about the short one week break. But uh, hopefully that went as planned and we are now jumping into what I'm going to unofficially consider season two of the podcast. And I also survived my vacation. Oh, yes. Congratulations uh, in advance for uh, yeah. surviving your trip. Well, this, you know, you guys could be listening to this postmortem if uh, mm-hmm. my excursion through the Badlands does not go well. Mm. Uh, this podcast will be a fitting memoriam for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so anybody else have anything good, any cool games or anything that like that on your horizon? Uh, yeah, I- I've been... So ever since our Freedom Planet episode, uh, which you guys heard my enthusiasm about that game, and um, it really made me want to kind of go back and explore some Sega Genesis stuff. We got a nice, good, long talk about our Sega Genesis uh, heritage in on that episode. And since I no longer had my Sega Genesis, and Shane's actually got most of our collection, I decided to go on eBay and grab some stuff. And uh, the first game that I've been playing uh, is one that... I heard come up a lot when people were discussing Freedom Planet, but I'd never gotten a chance to play in those days. And that's uh, Rocket Knight Adventures. So I picked that up on eBay recently, and I found a great deal on it, by the way. Um, you know, the one of the wonderful things about the Sega Genesis, if you're uh, you know, a nerd like us at our stage in life, is that if you were a Nintendo kid and you want to go back and rebuy all the games that you loved or, you know, collect games for your Nintendo it's actually really expensive these days. The The prices on used Nintendo games are through the roof, and um, there's all kinds of reasons for that, but that's just the, the reality of, you know, there's a ton of people collecting SNES games right now and competing for that stuff on eBay, and the prices are really high, but the Genesis, not so much. Um, and so you can go on, on eBay and pick up a really nice condition copy of practically any Sega Genesis game except for just a few really rare ones, in a complete box. Uh, the boxes have actually held up. Another big advantage for collecting Sega Genesis games over SNES games was that they came in actual hard plastic boxes. This is one right here. Sound effects. Get a Foley artist for that. And, um, you know, whereas the SNES and NES games all came in, uh, in crappy paper boxes. Yeah. So... Rocket Knight Adventures is a game where you play as Sparkster, a little possum. He looks like a rat, but he's actually a possum. I thought he was a dog. Mm, yeah, he looks kind of like a rabbit dog. Anyway, he's a little animal, and he's wearing full armor with a rocket pack and a sword. And his main attack is a little 
sword swipe that does a little fling of energy in front of him, and uh, you get a little charge shot where you can rocket around in a kind of a charge attack that's a lot like the attack that Lilac has in Freedom Planet. Um, the game is a ton of fun, and I've actually been playing it a lot. It's got seven levels, and this is the thing that playing it again really made me remember, well, this is why I didn't complete games when I was a kid. The game has no save feature at all. You start the game in the first level with three continues and two lives. And there are one-ups that you can pick up throughout the game, um, but it's pretty sparse. So you have to play through the entire game in a single run. Um, yeah. And I have been managing to get I, I farther and farther each time. And actually, I, I've been getting right to the end of the fourth uh, stage before I run out of lives and continues at this point, and I think I'm probably going to be able to complete the game if I keep practicing a little bit. But um, that's a that's an aspect that you don't see anymore. Unsavable. Yeah, you had told you know me that you were, you had purchased this game. And I thought it sounded familiar, but I hadn't really bothered to uh, dig a little deeper. I've been looking it up as you were talking, and I totally played this game. I definitely had this game when I was younger. I don't think it was. Uh, one of my favorites or anything, but I'm looking at these screenshots and and remembering some of these these bosses and things that it's showing. This is a really cool game. Mm-hmm. It's a great game. The graphics are really good. I think it's one of the better looking games on the uh, Sega Genesis. Really nice, large, colorful sprites, and uh, the bosses are all really varied and interesting. You're fighting these evil pigs who are really kind of cute looking. I like them, and um, yeah, it's great. Um, and it's one of these games where there's you know essentially no story, but because I got the complete copy with the book, the the little booklet inside gives you the story, and it's one of these things not quite on the level of Freedom Planet. Um, there's no uh, fully voiced 35 minute long cutscenes, but uh, it's it's really has a lot of pretension to a world and world building for a game as simple as it is. It's a it's a really neat little game. There was a sequel called Sparkster that's really actually kind of rare, so I may or may not ever end up playing that because it's a little expensive on eBay. But this game's not that expensive to pick up, and if you've got a Sega Genesis. I totally recommend this. It's really fun. Yeah, and on that same type of note, I uh, also, inspired by our discussion of Sega, went and downloaded uh, the Open EMU emulator mm-hmm. set for my computer, which I did not know beforehand, but found out that it will pair wirelessly with Wii controllers, which oh, yeah. has been really, really nice. So I... Uh, Went and downloaded uh, a bunch of games, but I went and got Toe Jam and Earl, the game that I, you know, had like a giant nostalgia fest over in the Sega episode. And Molly and I played it and immediately was like, man, this game is so cool. It's so unique. And I think it never dawned on me until just now, but I think it might be the game that like is one of the reasons why I like roguelike games so much. Uh, I found out that the developer um, developed, uh, what is it, Starflight? Yeah, which is a procedurally generated game, and also he considered one of his most primary inspirations for Toe Jam and Earl was just the game Rogue. So it was a combination between those two. Yeah, I think it was probably the first um, roguelike that was sort of a mainstream console game. Yeah, and um, multiplayer. Roguelikes are having a huge resurgence. I actually just downloaded. I've been. I've actually played two different ones today. 
Uh, one I know we're planning to talk about for the show, Crypt of the Necro Dancer, was fabulous. And I can't wait to talk about that game on the show. So fun. So it'll probably be our next episode um, if our order stays as planned. Yeah. So tune in next time to hear a little bit about the absolutely incredible um, Steam Early Access game, Crypt of the Necro Dancer. Super cool. Yeah, and there's another one that I'm very excited. I just started today. I haven't gotten that far into uh, but it's a cross between a roguelike and a puzzle game. As for iOS, it's called The Nightmare Cooperative. I, I've not heard about it's, that. It's a really interesting game. You know those kind of... Uh, it reminds me of that old PC game that was like a, a cat and a mouse and you were moving up, down, left, and right, pushing blocks around and stuff like that. Yeah, you know it. I know um, what you're talking about. Well, um, what, what this game basically is, you're controlling several characters at once... Uh, moving up, down, left, and right. Um, it's a roguelike, but it plays more like a puzzle game uh, because when you swipe, it moves all the characters you're controlling up, down, left, or right. And like threes. Yeah. Huh. Uh, well, actually, I got this because I got <laughs> fed up with threes. <laughs> I got mad because I couldn't beat my score. And um, and so I, I've started this new game, and it's so far really interesting. It's... It's definitely got those puzzle elements where, you know, because you're controlling multiple characters at once, you have to really think about your moves. You know, if I move the wizard to the right, then the guy with the sword might walk into a pit of lava, huh. you know, because you, you swipe to move everyone. Um, and there's there's monsters and there's uh, treasure chests and, and it's got a it's got an attractive visual style. Uh, so I'm just getting started with it, but it seems like it could be really fun. What's the name again? Yeah. I'll make sure we get a link in the show notes. Uh, the name is the something cooperative. Uh, the the nightmare cooperative. Nightmare cooperative. Yeah, and, and I'll also uh, make a I recommendation would... real quick for a game called One Hundred Rogues on the iPhone. I think I've talked about this before, but it's a really good roguelike. Uh, more in the dungeon crawling. Your objective is to get down and defeat Satan, but most of the time you won't even make it into hell. Um, just because it's a really hard game, but I've I really need to find. It. I've heard incredible the, things about that game too. I, I'm now. I've. 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 That's that decides it. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna take a real survey of the roguelikes on iOS. See what uh, the best one is. That's a great idea. Well, special report. <laughs> <laughs> there was a uh, Reddit thread uh, a while ago. What were the best? What are some of the best roguelikes of all time that I bookmarked? And from time to time, I'll just go and uh, snag one from it and just give it a shot. Because with roguelikes, especially, there's so many of them. I have a hard time getting into the ones that are like hardcore uh, throwback, like ASCII. Like that's where it all kind of started. Um, yeah. And I kind of have a hard time getting into that. So, but there's a ton of those. Uh, so I like a little bit more. Many of the really popular ones of those, like uh, NetHack, for example, mm -hmm. you can uh, download different tile sets for them. So if the ASCII art graphics don't work for you, you can uh, apply a layer on top of that that gives them much more detailed yeah. graphics. Like that in Dwarf Fortress and gives all that. Gives them slightly Man. more detailed graphics. <laughs> Man, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting idea, Shane. I would totally love to hear your, your thoughts on different uh, roguelikes on iOS. Um, I uh, Destiny is coming out uh, this Tuesday. 
Yes. Which, um, okay. So when you are hearing this episode, listener, you are probably already playing Destiny and know more about it than we do. But we're strongly looking forward to that. Unfortunately, I won't be picking it up at launch because I don't yet have a PS4. But um, you're planning on picking it up, Nate? Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, this whole vacation. I mean, I'm not not unfortunately I'm going on vacation, but it is a uh, poor time for you. Uh, yeah, exactly. I will. The day it comes out, I will be um, out in the wilderness, most likely. So I will be about as far away from a PS4 as you can get. But um, I am planning on uh, having it like downloaded and ready for when I get home. Uh, I have a day off after I get home from vacation, uh, kind of a cool down day from vacation. I know that sounds <laughs> sounds difficult, um, l- rough life, but. Uh, I plan on pretty much just playing Destiny all day to catch up with the people who've been playing it for what I'm going to guess at that point is uh, around 100 hours straight. I'm assuming there's going to be people who have already <laughs> maxed, uh, but I am excited about it. And Shane, you're getting a PS4 soon, aren't you? I am. I'm I'm trying to decide exactly when. Um, yeah. The, the launch of Destiny makes a real good case for me to buy a PS4. I am concerned to a degree about because uh, this game might be the opposite of a short game, like literally the opposite. Sony has yeah. a 10-year plan. They're never releasing Destiny 2. They are they have expansions on expansions built. Apparently they have like a $500 million budget for this game. This is a a title, a a game that's going to be if they handle it well, of course, relevant for a very long time, and they intend for you to start playing it on launch and never stop playing it. <laughs> and I have, uh, I've been caught in those games before. I was a huge MMO player uh, before I really got into, um, like I missed like an entire generation of video games because I was playing World of Warcraft. And I don't intend to do that again with this game. Uh, I think it has some elements that will allow it to still be uh, more on the manageable play style you know with the short missions Mm -hmm. that are only like an hour or so uh whereas some of the other ones like grinding was really a thing Um, well yeah so we'll see so yeah i'd love to hear what you think of it because i think yeah i want to hear how this game fits into your busy schedule i know how uh for all of us that's a big part of of gaming and why we do this show. So yeah, the game sounds phenomenal. I'm probably going to be picking up a PS4 as well soon. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking probably I was planning on doing it a little closer to my, or Shane to our birthday. Again with the Um, twin thing. Yeah. Yeah. Manticore. I don't know if anyone was aware that Reagan and I are, uh, genetic clones. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention real quick, is I saw the movie Pacific Rim uh, a couple weeks ago. And the reason I bring it up, I think it's relevant to this this podcast, is if you guys remember correctly, this is the movie that had some brief, uh, made it around the internet, that Gladys was in it. Wait, what? No, I don't remember that at all. Oh, man, it was in the trailer, and everybody went crazy. So they, I saw that movie. Th- you saw Pacific Rim? Yeah, I didn't. I don't remember seeing Gladys in it. Yeah, dude. The the um. I mean, she, not her face or her robot face. Her voice. She's the uh, oh the what's her name? McHenry or McMahenley? The the woman who plays Gladys is the the robot um narrator, not robot narrator. <laughs> uh, the voice of like the command center in Pacific. Wow. Rim. Okay. No, I didn't pick up on that. That's awesome. Oh man, it's identical. She's not. It's like. There's no character behind it. She, she, it's not the character of Gladys. 
but the voice is essentially identical. And oh, all she cool. does is like robot speak, like, you know. <laughs> That's great. She doesn't turn. I've seen that movie a couple anything. of times. I can't believe I didn't, I didn't pick that Both up. Both of you? Oh yeah. my God. It's, we're not very perceptive. Yeah, apparently. But uh, I, I, I should go watch that again. That was one of those movies that I definitely enjoyed. I saw it in theaters and, and I liked it a lot. Um, but I think that the, the robot fighting was super, super fun. And I didn't really enjoy and in some parts, maybe even kind of tuned out uh, anything that didn't happen inside of a robot. Yeah, I, that's kind of how I feel. I, I think the movie was super dumb. But it was just funny enough and had just enough heart. And the robots fighting giant sea monsters was cool enough to make me actually really enjoy it. The robots were great. I would love to see a sequel to that, even if it sucks. I think they're um, making one. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, so more giant robot fighting. Uh, whether the plot is any good or not, I almost kind of don't care. Yeah. I'd like to see some more of those giant robots. See, they were really, you, really cool. When you say you don't care, you end up with Transformers 2, 3, and 4. Oh, geez, you're right. There was enough plot to make it. And if it was, If there was literally no story that you didn't care about, it's just a Transformers movie. But I thought it was just... Like it was just good enough story, just funny enough to make it a step above those movies, and uh, and and kind of balance the awesome robot fighting. Because there's like a good chunk in that movie of about forty minutes where there is no robot fighting. That's a very good point. Yeah, those Transformers movies were a uh, garbage. <laughs> yeah, they were a shame. The reason that we're all here today uh, is to talk about Papers, Please, and uh, it's probably one of the stranger games that I've played for this show, um, a game that I was really excited to check out, partly just because it's absolutely unique. It's a, it's not like anything else that I've played. Um, now, I've you know, we all had our own different sort of reactions to this game, and I can't say that it's my favorite game we've played for the show, but I do think that it's a truly unique game and something that people probably ought to check out if you can. Um, uh, Nate, can you tell us a little bit about why you were particularly interested in checking this game out or where you first heard about it? I just heard about it. I mean, it, it, it showed up on a ton of those award things. I, I, I saw this game and Gone Home put together a lot and they have virtually nothing in common but i think it was that they were a, re a really interesting twist on on games right now um and i i think i picked it up uh during one of the steam sales and it just had you watch the trailer it's it's so it's like the, the the theme they handle the theme so well the music is great the mm -hmm. like the art style is great uh it is funny and like a Let's make fun of the Soviets. It's, it's dark, Kafka-esque <laughs> kind oh my of gosh. humor. It's yeah. probably one of the most uh, depressing game worlds that I've ever seen. And well, it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's Terry Gilliam's Brazil as a video game. It is. There is nothing happy happening at any point in this game. So and, let's set up the the game's uh, plot, such as it is, and um, and gameplay style a little bit. Uh, glory to Astotska. <laughs> How the heck are you supposed to pronounce that? It was I, was it? I think it's Astotska. I think Ar he's got yeah. it. Ar 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 
So I always imagined everything in it with a strong Russian accent. Comrade. Oh yeah. Greetings. Absolutely. And welcome to Arstotska. Make no trouble. <laughs> the, Cause no trouble. So, you, Papers, uh, so it opens. I don't believe you ever actually see your character, but it opens with uh, they just do an image on the screen and like typewriter style text goes along the bottom, uh, informing you that you have won the lottery and you yes. will be given a job working at the border patrol between uh, Arstotska and I, uh, East Greslin. Yeah, no, East Greslin so. is one of oh. the is that's where it's located. That's one of the cities uh, in Arstotska. It's not Obristan, but it's one of a it. It's one of was like it Kult, Kultia? It might be at Kalechia. I think Kulichia, it might. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, we're gonna we're gonna mispronounce all of these, but yeah. it's not real, so yeah. we can. So you are given the job of working at a border of what's essentially Eastern Bloc countries. Yeah, and ninety percent of the gameplay. Uh, happens in your booth where you examine passports and documents. The entirety of the gameplay revolves around you analyzing documents, basically. And it becomes more and more complicated as the game progresses. But, you know, on day one, you're told that only citizens of Arstotska may enter through the border. So someone walks up to your little booth, and this is all in, what would you call it, 16-bit uh, graphics, maybe? Yeah, that's what I thought was really... The graphics The graphics are something that you could believably see on a computer from uh, 1990 or something yeah. thereabouts. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a great visual style. Yeah, it, everything is cold. The art is cold. The the faces of everybody is cold. Everything is just... The colors are dark. Yeah, everything is very dreary. And I think it all kind of... You could almost believe that you're playing this game on a knockoff Soviet computer yeah. in, in the 1990s. Absolutely. It has that kind of look and feel. So, like, on the first day, you're told only members of... Only citizens of Arstotska may re-enter Arstotska. So your first day is a person walks up to your booth. You say, papers, please. They hand you their passport. And if it's Arstotska, you check it against a set of rules you have. It has to come from a proper issuing city, has to not be expired, um, and has to have, like, the sex has to match, you know, male, female. And as long as those things are good, you can hit a big button that says approve, or there's another one that says deny, and... If they're not from Arstotska, you can immediately say nope, and they get mad at you often, or they may plead their case, which becomes a uh, a, a larger element of the game as you move on, and you just deny these people. And then the next day, it says, okay, anybody from any country may enter as long as they have a valid entry ID. And so now it adds another it an entry ticket. Yeah, entry ticket. Yeah. And, and it goes on from there. I, I don't know about you guys. But the closest thing I've ever played to this, it's almost unlike any other game I've ever played gameplay wise, except for maybe the Phoenix Wright investigation games. I actually think you're absolutely right there. It has something in common with those. I'd say that it's the gameplay just from a straight up gameplay perspective, you know, theme aside, all of the things aside. It's like a point. It's it has a story. So in a way, it feels somewhat like a point and click adventure game where you're making choices that affect the story. But a lot of the gameplay feels kind of like a puzzle game. And Shane, I think you're right. The Phoenix Wright games have a lot in common because you're trying to find inconsistencies 
in somebody's story or documents. Um, so anytime that something is wrong, like even something as simple as um, their uh, their passport has an expired date on it, you can't just click on the date and say this is expired. Um, you actually have to cross-reference it with something physical. So you have to enter a special mode for showing inconsistencies. You have to click on the date on their passport and then the date on the clock that sits on your desk. And it will say discrepancy detected. And then you have to interrogate them. Um, and sometimes it's very difficult to find those inconsistencies. So, for example, you, you have to check the issuing city on their passport against a map that's in one of the pages of a fairly long book that's on your desk. So you have to actually open the book, turn to the correct page, find that information, enter that cross-referencing mode, and click on the two pieces of relevant information that don't match. That kind of brings me to my biggest... I don't know if I can really call this a critique of the game, but it's definitely something that I didn't like. It's a, it's clearly a stylistic choice, uh, but the game is skeuomorphic in the extreme. And if you're not an Apple nerd, you might not know you might not and you might not have heard the word skeuomorphism. But basically, it's an interface design term uh, that means uh, something that imitates a real world object. So, for example, if you open up a notepad on your computer and it's made to look like a yellow legal pad. Yes. So the people people draw an instant connection. They're like, oh, that looks yeah. like the real life thing. Yeah, and that's... And in a sense, it works like the real life thing. Maybe the interface, if you want to change the page on something like that, means you actually have to click and drag to turn the page. Everything in this game works like that. Yeah, to, to the extent that, like, you know, later on in the game, you're... You know, getting little sheets of paper and sticking them up on the wall with a cute drawing from your kid, or you are. Oh, you really uh, don't want to do that. You get fined. Uh, you're, not <laughs> supposed to, you're not supposed to have anything hanging on your walls. That's a violation of of the uh, of the rules. So. I, and every uh, every action you do, you grab like you know their their passport. You're grabbing these documents. You're pulling them out onto your virtual desktop. Uh, you're flipping through the virtual pages of a virtual book. Uh, you are uh, then using a virtual uh, chunky stamp to stamp the virtual passport. And that, for me, introduced so much challenge and frustration to the game that I actually found myself... Re it's one of those situations where I found myself wrestling with the controls a lot. Yeah, I will say to your... I, it, it's, it's obviously a, a, a design choice because... It is. The, the way they handle upgrades... Like Octodad. Game, yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of. It, it, it is meant to slow you down. And it, it's interesting because I thought one of the most... Um, one of the smarter choices they made in this game and one of them that really kind of shows what they're going for as far as the process in the game is there's very few upgrades you can get in the game, but there, there are four. There, there's four of them upgrades to your to your booth and the first one is uh oh shoot what's the uh there's the one first of them one was oh, yeah. you can Let's hit the do... space bar yeah, to sp activate the uh comparison mode yeah and which so just and... saves you a click but it's a click that you have to do every single time sometimes multiple sometimes. times per person yeah and the one of the other ones so to open up the stamps you have to go over and click on this little thing that swings the stamps out. Well, instead, with this upgrade, you can hit tab. 
And that allows, so you can have your hand placed perfectly on the keyboard where you can start reducing the actions. You know, if you're like a StarCraft fan, what is it? Actions per (laughs) actions per minute or whatever, you can start increasing your actions and you can become way more efficient. And to me, that was when I really when the game clicked for me is you set these routines. You know, I open up my rule book, I have it to a certain page when I start the day. You if you mouse over the rule book, the left and right keys on the arrows are on your keyboard will flip the pages. Oh, I never noticed that. So that's a that's a pretty big boost as well. Say that again. If you have your mouse over the top of the book, your left and right on your uh, on your keyboard will flip through no the pages. No way. Okay, did not know yeah. that. Okay. It's a game that intends for its gameplay to be drudgery. Yeah. You're enacting, yeah. you know, it, it, you're role-playing someone who is in a game, excuse me, who is in a in a job that is absolute Hell. drudgery. <laughs> yeah. And so, they try to make you feel that, and I think they do it kind of successfully. And that's where, when I first played the game, it turned me away before I got very far into it. And that's because I was like, oh, this is drudgery. This isn't fun. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, well, we've left but- out the, the second half of, of, this, of the game, what makes you, you feel the need to do these, drudger, the, you know, these terrible things. Is at the end of each day, you, are, you, you earn $5 for every successful uh, process either approved or declined if it was done properly you are given five dollars if you do it improperly you get two warnings and on the third one they start taking money away so you really it, you can't fly through it you can't just guess because odds are you will not make enough money to feed your family mm-hmm. and so every night it takes how much you earned and it deducts immediately your rent, which I believe starts at $25 a day. So immediately you have to be doing at least five uh, correctly a day. And then I think heat is $10, food is $15. And then your family, which is your wife, your uncle, your son, and your mother-in-law can all get sick and medicine is $5. And you almost immediately, unless you've played the game multiple times, are out of money very, very fast. Yes. And on like day two or three, your wife is sick, everybody's hungry, you're, they're cold, your son is dying, and it immediately becomes this like extra element of stress and just <laughs> depressing. It's all sad. Yeah, and, and it was that that kind of drove me into one of my favorite elements of the game, not necessarily a gameplay mechanic uh but because i wanted to go back and try again and see if i could uh make things work out better um i went into the uh the the load screen which actually is one of my favorite aspects of the game game i totally agree they had uh when you restore back you can go back to any previous day and it represents it like a tree um and you can try different kind of paths through the game um, it's, I don't know if I'm describing it as well as I could. You, you it get, creates uh, a kind of a branching system like a diagram. Where, yeah. So if I've played through 15 days worth of the game, but then I realized really, if I went back to day five and kind of did a little better, I, I might be doing better today. Um, so, but you don't want to reset all the way back to the first day. You can go back to day five and start yeah, a just, new branch in your story. Off. 
as a new kind of chain of saves. And if that turns out sucking and you want to go back to your original branch, you can. So it gives you a lot of freedom to experiment. And each day, how long would you say a day takes you? Um, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes, 20, yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. And there, there are, are lots of endings you could reach. If, yeah, if, that, although there's... one critique, I guess, would be that they're almost all practically identically dismal and, and horrible. Well, yeah, there, there's almost, there's, I think there's two of the 20 endings that would be considered um, success. <laughs> Uh, though some I of never them, reached those. Though some of them are, it depends on what you what you consider success. Um, but yeah, there's 20 different. I would say that there's five maybe complete branches you can go out on with each having four or five. You know, four or five branches each having four or five of their own sets of endings. Mm-hmm. So, and I should mention probably at this point that our intent today is not to discuss any of the endings in, in any depth. We might discuss some of the the ones that you can reach within the first two or three days of the game, um, but uh, we're not going to be including a spoiler break in this episode because we feel we can discuss it without uh, without delving into true spoiler territory. Um, yeah. Would you guys say that makes sense? That makes sense. I mean, like to to what kind of what you're going right now. I I don't think it's a spoiler to say you can lose the game by running out of money and not being able to pay rent very early. Or, I think I did that on yeah. day three or um, you can lose the game. You can lose the game by your entire family dying, which is also possible uh, really early, yep. pretty great or at almost any point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Both of my games. I, I think I, I think I started fresh three total games. The first two ending on days three and five, and the third one, I actually made it the entire. I, it, something clicked for me in the in that second game when I was I was failing. I was, I mean, the ship was definitely sinking, but I was learning something, and it, and it kind of clicked for me for me. And I made it all the way uh, to day thirty one, uh, and I I triggered a couple endings on the way there just to see what would happen because. I kind of knew because it gives you the freedom to try that and then backtrack. I kind of made my own ending to this game. Um, Hmm. And what I mean by that is I got to the point where I just wanted the game to stop so badly that I quit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's something interesting about this game. It's I feel in some ways that this is it's hard for me to, to wholeheartedly recommend this game, but also it's hard for me to tell you that it's not a great game. It's it's a game. It's like. It's like a really depressing movie that's clearly a really good movie. I actually, I, uh, I, when I was talking to Molly about this because she played it briefly and, and and thought it was too stressful and and didn't really enjoy it. And I said, you know, I think I said this to you guys too. You know, I really enjoyed this game. I don't know that I had fun. And she <laughs> yeah. said, how, "How can you enjoy something while not having fun?" And I said. Well, it's like Requiem for a Dream. If you guys have seen have seen that movie, that's a great, great comparison. It's a it's a utterly depressing movie, but I, I really enjoyed that movie. I mean, you know, and that's a feeling that I've never had from a video game before. No, and at first I really didn't. I, at first, when I first started playing this game, I was like, "This is no fun. What's I don't like this." And then the more that I played it, I almost almost I, I enjoy the game more having thinking about it in in retrospect and thinking about the game and thinking wow that re- like like looking back on it 
I'm kind of in awe of some of the things that the game does. Yeah. But in the moment, it's like it is truly depressing and a bit of a slog. And I think that's all 100% intentional. It's something I've never, ever seen before in a video game. One of the the most interesting thing to me about this game, I thought, is, is another kind of element that we've left out. So the way we've been describing it, it sounds like a game that's all about process and procedure, right? You're yeah. trying to maximize the amount of money you can make on a given day, right? That makes sense. That's a standard video game element. How fast can I get? How effective can I get at analyzing these documents? Well, they throw in a bit of morality into this game, I guess. That's right. If you play it in that way, uh, you you become a monster. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't be... I don't think you would have fun. I think in some of the endings, as I understand, even if you play it that way, it's not going to end well for you. So they they throw in these these decisions you have to make, and I'm we don't need to go about too many of an, them. Cause... An early example would be uh, a man comes through your checkpoint and says, uh, you know, he and all of his paperwork's perfectly in order, and he says, my wife is right behind me. Please let her through. You know, yeah, and and she comes through, and her paperwork is not in order. Not completely in order. And the only thing it costs you is to click the approve button and if you haven't made any wrong decisions that day you get your first warning and she says something like thank you you've changed my life sometimes they give you money so there sometimes can be a reward to it mm-hmm. but there's sometimes also you, uh, steam achievements little coins yeah you get. <laughs> and there's uh there is an in-game achievement there's these little tokens and it, it basically if you complete what i thought of as almost like sub quests uh you will be awarded a little token. And so that's a good one. There's one, the game gets more and more complicated. There becomes a most one. You have choices about whether or not to accept bribes for yeah. certain things. There's a, uh, there's a most wanted list that comes in that you have to cross-reference every time someone comes in, make sure they're not on the most wanted. At one point, a guy comes in and tells you uh, he saw a, a man on the most wanted list in line. That man murdered his daughter let him through so I may enact my own revenge. And it's up to you whether you let the murderer through or rightfully detain him and have him sent to the, you know, the gulag. Not to go into a whole lot more detail because there's a lot of these little, like, uh, vignettes that play out as you're stamping passports. And uh, to talk in too much detail about too many of them would end up going into spoiler territory, I think. But it presents you at least two or three times a day with these interesting little nuggets of personal stories of the people that you're checking their passports and um, the choices that you make about just accepting or denying their entry to Arstotska um, really have a big effect on what happens to you in addition to, and, and even what happens to Arstotska because Arstotska is a, a country on the brink of revolution and under constant siege from terrorists. Oh yeah. We haven't said that yet. Uh, so you're, you know, you're, you're trying to make enough money to live besides all this side stuff. Well, sometimes if you let the wrong person through, uh, maybe they were packing a bomb and they blow up one of the checkpoints right behind you and that ends your day. Or there are just randomly triggered uh, terrorist attacks that cut your day short. So you were only able to look at four people that day and you can't afford your fa- pay, you know, feed your family and you had nothing to do with that. So where this game really turns things on its head, and we talked about this already, but it, it, something that jumped into my mind after playing this game was I remember reading a 
review about it was a sort of a uh, sarcastic review of Grand Theft Auto V. And actually, it was something that later on uh, Jonathan Mann, I think it was, um, made a song out of. And I'll try and post a, a link in the show notes because it was a really catchy song. But the, the line that really stuck out at me was, games are about feeling powerful and you getting your way. And I was like, that's what video games usually are. And almost all video games, even games that cover dark subject matter or aren't about you getting your way, games are about when you're when you're doing well it's because your character is getting his way and feeling powerful and doing doing things that they want to do and even when you're succeeding in this game you never feel powerful and you're never getting your way you yeah. are under the foot you're under the jackboot of someone else that you don't even know and you feel it this entire game it's really a strange game in that way to me the combination of the the need to complete a game by its rules and maximize your profits against the morality of the decisions you had to make against mm-hmm. the the theme of the game entirely the tone the music was phenomenal even though i think it was only like two different songs bah, maybe bah, you'll probably bah, be hearing a lot of it in yeah, this episode bah, and you're probably already um, tired of it the, well imagine playing the game the art style <laughs> this was one of the most interesting games that i've ever played and yeah i don't recommend it to necessarily everybody but I don't think that I would be able to make the dis- like. I, I guess I should say I don't think everybody's going to like this game. But I think everybody should try this game. Yeah, everybody I should agree. check it out. And it's not expensive to try. Um, how much did you guys spend on it on Steam? I know I got it in a Steam sale, and I can't. And I, I don't think I, was, I paid more than two dollars. I think for I got it, it for two ninety nine. And let I'll, me check the price. Go ahead. I should also say too. So that one run that I did that took me all the way to the end of the game, and I also went back a couple times because the end of the game is where a lot of the uh the endings branch and you can kind of, once you understand how the game works you can kind of tell that this is a branch off point and so mm-hmm. i went and i think i did i think i unlocked my own five different endings and was aware of the and just didn't bother to go and do some of the other ones i, I eventually looked them up and i think i put seven hours into this game yeah so it's not a long game i mean we are the short game and we're discussing this game for a reason, but mm-hmm. it's a game that you don't, you can hear us tell you that this game is depressing and in, in a sense, fascinating, but not fun and might, might think, I don't want to spend my time on that, but you probably should anyway. If you're interested in games as art and game design as a way of expressing things other than just, that was awesome, uh, this is a game that expresses feelings that you have never seen in a video game before. Uh, I've just found it, by the way. Regular price for this game on Steam is nine ninety nine, and I think that's a fair price. But if you want to wait for a Steam sale and pick it up, that makes sense too. Yeah, it does go on, on sale from time to time. It's involved in almost every Steam sale. It's on the flash sales all the time, mm-hmm. um, and it's definitely in humble bundles. You know when those come around. Another really interesting uh, thing about this is that uh, while this is currently only on. Uh, on Steam for Mac, Linux, and Windows. Uh, but, you know, there you go. You've got a lot of options there. Uh, it's actually coming out for PS4 and Vita as well. I cannot imagine how. <laughs> It'll definitely have a very different control scheme on those platforms. Well, I don't know. The Vita has a touchscreen. Well, the and Vita... the PlayStation has a little touchpad, the PS4. Yeah, but it? that the, the, the touchpad on the PS4 is is not... 
will not be able to replicate a mouse. So they'll ha- they'll either have to give you more time, yeah, or or they'll have to figure out a way to add more buttons that are like hotkeys. Because there is a lot of clicking and dragging. And- I actually thought that this game could probably work on a tablet. So yeah, I, I think know, a tablet maybe- would work. I think a tablet yeah. would definitely work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so for now, I would probably play this game mouse and keyboard even if you do have a ps4 or vita um and uh, i would pick it up on a steam sale for uh you know uh, windows or mac or mm-hmm. linux if you happen to swing that way i do hope um, they bring it out on ipad actually because I, i'd like to replay it again on something like that but i it's one of these games where i i couldn't bring myself to finish it because of the emotional content of the game that has not happened to me before and i feel like i will be going back to it uh, as as yeah. soon as i'm ready for it i See, i wasn't ready for this for this game depends on what you mean by completed it because i kind of completed the game i think well, three times but I, that mean by which i mean i reached three different endings but i never got to the 31st day yes of the of the story and so i i probably will try to go back to it again but yeah i think in a sense like a movie or a russian novel or anything else where the point is not having a great time but learning something about the world this game teaches you something about the world in a way that you can't learn in many other ways like you you, that that monster that sits across the desk from you and says no to your perfectly reasonable request why are they like that this game will show you and it will make you feel that person's life I, I will say, though, to some degree, once I really got into the game and was like on day 20 and just like grinding away at these these passports, there is a little bit of a um, uh, of like a reward mechanism when you get one correct, because it gets to where you are checking four or five different papers all cross-referenced off of each other from your rule book, your fingerprint scanning, you're doing all sorts of different stuff that when you get one right, it is a little bit like, like you feel yeah. like you did. Yeah, you're like, nice. And, I found you, sucker. Yeah, and because whenever you let them in, there's about a two or three second pause before the violation starts printing up from the bottom. <laughs> and every single time it's like... And then it doesn't print, and you're like, yeah. yeah actually, and speaking it, of, that was a really good... Uh, that, that is true. I didn't really think about it in that way. Uh, there, there was... A, a, I don't know if this was the case for you guys. I constantly was making mistakes about the genders. Me too, actually. That was a weird one. It's because you stop... Th- like, they pile on so many things you have to look at that the simple ones like that happened to me too i would that, miss male I, or female I, I didn't think it was simple i thought that the the graphical style of the portraits in a lot of cases was like really um androgynous, androgynous. Well, they, did you get to the body scans did yeah you i did because they actually they do that where it, mm-hmm. it gets it gets tricky Yes, but I mean, even still, you have to porno scan someone's junk in order to tell whether they're male or female and check that. And then I also like once you got through that point, when you start like questioning the gender that's on someone's uh, paperwork, uh, maybe it's, you know, my liberal heart. But I felt really bad uh, questioning somebody about their gender. 
Well, yeah, I you mean, I, you're. I think you're supposed to feel bad a lot. And of some the of them, some of them really will respond back. Obviously, there's no voice acting in this game. It's all through text. <laughs> Killed it. There you go. It is a. Um, that one is definitely tricky. There's there's a couple things too. It, it you kind of have to learn the rules of the game themselves because someone will say that they're. Um, they're visiting for two weeks, and then you look at their entry thing, and it says they're staying for a year. And then you you have to interrogate them, be like, your paper says a year, and they're like, oh right, sorry, it's a year. And then you it's like, is that right or is that wrong? You know, and and you kind of as you play it more, and it might make you suspicious and have to check their other information more thoroughly. So yeah, um, I I really I did get there was a when I like I said when I got really into this game when I because you really have to do pretty well to make it to the last all, all 30 days without your family dying. Um, I, I did start finding some real satisfaction, I guess is probably the right word in properly <laughs> approving or denying the people you monster all the while though, <laughs> selectively approving or denying people based on my, you know, my own principles or my, you know, need to accept a bribe because that's a part of it and you got to get paid somehow and sometimes there's some real money offered and maybe not following the rules, so. Since we don't want to have a spoiler break and don't want to, uh, to dive into any of the deep spoilers of the plot, and I was talking about this game earlier and comparing it to point-and-click adventure games, it does... It's a story-driven game, despite the fact that it it plays out like this puzzle game almost, or this um, yeah investigation game, point-and-click investigation. Exactly, um, it really is a story-driven game. And if it weren't for those moral decisions or the need to keep your family alive, if it was just analyzing these documents, uh, no one we would have all stopped playing it. That's, that's not actually. That. That, that does remind me that there's one point I... what One kind of criticism that I have for the game is that, you know, nominally you're supposed to be doing all of this to take care of your family. But your family is a completely abstract thing in this game. You don't really see your family. When, you know, between days, you have a menu screen where you get to decide whether your family gets food or not. But there are no scenes where you see the faces of your family or talk to yeah, your family. Yeah, it's very Oregon Trail in that way. Yeah, absolutely. This is a... It, it's It's got a lot of the feeling of Oregon Trail in amongst the other aspects that we felt there. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, that's, that's a good point because there was a part of me during one of my playthroughs that I thought I could just let everybody die except for one. And then I don't would, have to spend that much money on medicine. It would be cheaper, right? But that goes yeah. that goes right to that same thing I was talking about earlier, where your gaming instincts is to maximize profits and minimize mm-hmm. losses. But this game forces you, unless you are a soulless monster, to hmm. uh, to not to go against your gaming instincts and make morality decisions about keeping your family alive, yeah. like. Speaking I, speaking of morality decisions versus gaming decisions, like one of the only like real strategy tips that I have that that I that I found to to help me because I was doing pretty poorly managing my money 
is uh, that it's much cheaper to alternate back and forth between heat and food and then occasionally buy your son medicine when he gets sick than it is to give to to keep on the heat and keep feeding your family every day. Yeah, you can go every other day with food and heat for sure. Medicine, I do I would say as soon as someone's get gets sick, if you intend on keeping them alive, uh get them the medicine. Give them the medicine as soon as possible. Yeah, but medicine is five bucks and food is like ten, so Yeah. If you're going for one of the few um endings that would be considered success you do need your whole family to be alive and i think that Mm -hmm. much like oregon trail if you wanted to get the most points possible you had to get there with everybody alive yeah and i don't think that's a spoiler because that just that's standard games and you have to have a good amount of money on hand at, at a certain point in the game uh because there are there are you know new family members that arrive in need of help and things like that so um, you have to, you have to be at least minding, uh, the money aspect of the game to make it through. Yeah. If you can, if we're going to talk strategy, if you can successfully look at eight or more passports a day, you'll usually have enough money to survive. You'll be skimping it for a while, but if you alternate the, if you alternate the food and heat, you can. You can usually get by with eight or more. At least that's what I got by with. Good tips. I would love to see more games exploring this kind of content. You know, maybe not the same gameplay style. I don't think this will appeal to everybody, and uh, it, it'll probably actively uh, not appeal uh, strongly to some. Um, so, you know, this is a game that this is a game to check out, and maybe not necessarily a game to love playing but i think it's an important game and i think that's why it's won so many awards and been talked about so much even if it isn't perhaps a great lot of fun for everybody so um, i would definitely encourage you to check out this game if you're interested in game design if you're interested in games as art uh, or if you're interested in games that tell a story and have emotional and uh, and other content that just is so different from anything that you will see in any other game. Uh, it's it's just an incredibly unique and strange and really interesting game. That puts a bow on it, yep. It does, it does. Thanks a lot, Nate, for <laughs> encouraging me to uh, to dive into this game because I think when I first tried it out and spent maybe 15, 20 minutes playing it, I was like, I don't like this, and I shut it off, and I wasn't intending to go back to it. Uh, and then your encouragement has kind of made me dive back into it, and I think I actually got a lot out of playing it, uh, even though I didn't get as far as you did. I think it's really a, a great game to have checked out. Well, experienced. So thanks also to our listeners for joining us this week. Uh, this was another great episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore short game, or of course you can find our website with all of the show notes for this episode at www.theshortgame.net. Um, I've been your host, Reagan Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Nate, where can people find you? can follow me on twitter at nate stl awesome and uh don't forget to plug your other podcast which must be coming to a sort of a conclusion at this time wouldn't it this episode airing yeah at this point um so if 
for anyone who hasn't listened, I, I, I run a St. Louis Cardinals podcast as well. So I know very, very different than uh, about the opposite of Papers, Please is a uh, <laughs> is a playoff run in a baseball season. But um, it, if you're a baseball fan, it's an exciting time because we're down to it. About four weeks left in the season. So uh, it's called Talking About Birds. Since I'm no longer in St. Louis, I'm a little less informed about uh, the cards lately. How are we doing? And by we, I mean your team that I don't follow, I'm afraid. That is a, a silly sports thing that everybody says, like, we we need a pitcher. And it's like, <laughs> no, they need a pitcher. We need to, I guess, watch the game every night. Um, well, th- today being September 1st, the Cardinals just took first place in the Central for the first time this season. And it is thundering like crazy in here. Can you hear that? No, I didn't hear it. Okay. There's like a monster storm just rolled over. All right. Well, if what Nate was just saying about uh, about the Cardinals makes sense to you, you should check out his other podcast, Talking About Birds. And you can, I'm sure, Google that. Uh, or I think it's talkingaboutbirds.com. That's that right? right. We got all the right. domain all to ourselves. Awesome. And Shane, uh, how are you doing and where can people find you? I am doing just fine. Uh, people can find me at 8BitShane. Um where I tweet uh, occasionally about things I am eating, uh, among other things. All right, cool. And uh, (laughs) join us next week for another great episode of The Short Game. We're looking forward to sharing new stuff with you. Earlier in the episode, I made reference to a song by Jonathan Mann based on a satirical review of GTA V by Lee Alexander. I'll have links in the show notes to both Lee Alexander's review and to the song on YouTube, which is a part of Jonathan Mann's Song A Day series. But here is Jonathan Mann singing his song, GTA, This Is Why We Video Gaming. Rockstar's game, Grand Theft Auto V. It's epic fun, mayhem, but also serious grown-up storytelling franchise. This game's world, based on a major American city, is even bigger than the last GTA, and that one was pretty big. You can do a lot of things, but not too many things, just enough things. Most of the things you can do are helicopter base, jump, shoot, drive, run, swim. Whether or not you can swim in GTA is very important. Instead of only playing as one gross man who swears a lot and commits crimes, you get to play as three gross men. This is narrative innovation. What? You wanna leave me death threats? Go for it. Go for it. What? You wanna leave me death threats? Go for it, go for it. Games are about feeling powerful and you get your way. What? You wanna leave me death threats? Go for it. You can't be a woman. One could be lazy and say that's because women don't swear or commit crimes, nor should they want to. But instead, I'm gonna come right out and say. It's misogynistic, that's what I say Games are about feeling powerful And you get in your way Only in truly interactive entertainment Do our souls see a mirror This is why we video gaming This is why we video
video gaming. What? You wanna leave me death threats? Go for it, go for it. What? You wanna leave me death threats? Go for it, go for it. Games are about feeling powerful and you getting your way. What? You wanna leave me death threats? Go for it.